Welcome to the Echo Community Church Podcast. At Echo, we're all about being and making disciples of Jesus Christ. And on this podcast, you'll hear solid teaching from the Bible from our pastors at Echo. Thanks for checking us out and enjoy the message. It's so good to see each and every one of you this morning. Had I, I guess maybe if I could do it all over again, I probably would not preach this message this particular week, and I'll tell you why. It's because um, this message started uh, growing in my heart about eight months ago, and so I've been holding it until we had kind of a, a, a natural break between acts in the next series, and like if we need just a week or two, I've got this thing I want to share. And then, you know, it landed on a Sunday where, you know, half of us or at least half of our normal Sunday crew won't be here. And I will tell you, you know, if I look back over the last 10 and a half years of being here and you say, hey, pick out one or two or three messages that the Lord put on your heart that you feel like if you miss everything else that I said, you got to have, please hear my heart on these two or three passages. This would be one of those. This is a central idea of our faith. It's one of those that if I had three Sundays left to live and I had three messages left, this would be one of the three. Um, Not because of it, oh, I have this really clever idea. It's because of what the Lord has shown me in my own life out of this. And when he showed me, the first time he showed me, every now and again, you have these experiences of life. Someone tells you one time and it sticks so deeply that like you just keep going back to it over. I've gone back to the, the four words out of this passage almost daily. And it's been so helpful to me. So um, I won't try and go as deep into this as it deserves. Um, And the only way I can say that with a clear conscience is we've made a study guide for you. So if you want to download it, you can scan that QR code. Um, You can download the seven or eight. I don't remember how long it was along with. Um, as far as I got in compiling this by Wednesday, and then I apologized to Havila later, I was like, oh, if I could have had two extra days, there would have been more stuff in here. But um, the reality is all the different resources, books, sermons I went to to get some clarity on this passage um, are in those notes. Um, but before I get into that, I do have to just share an observation with you. I have come, and maybe you've gotten there. I recognize that some compliments from my youth have become insults to me in my adulthood. Things that people could say to me as a child, and I was like, wow, what a nice thing that they said. If they said the same thing to me as a grown-up, I would be deeply offended. I'll just give you one example, because I I know I could go way down the rabbit trail. My Grammy Woods, my great-grandmother, I have the privilege of saying that, you know, for, you know, most of my uh, youth into my young adult years, I knew my great grandmother. I had a great relationship with her and and with Poppy Woods, her husband. He um, served in the military in World War II, flew airplanes, and just a hero of mine. And by the way, thank you, um, David and Kirsty, others, all of you here who have served our country and in the armed forces, just serving our nation, serving us around the country, around the world. We thank you. We recognize you. We honor. We celebrate you. Um, that's part of my family's lineage. And uh, every we lived close enough that I could go visit her, her and Poppy, every few months. And here's one thing they would say to me that always made me feel great. If they hadn't seen me in three or four months, I'd go through the door of their home and she would say, oh my, look at how much you've grown. 
And I would be like, oh, yeah, I'd sit up tall. A couple doctor visits ago. (laughs) Dr. Rotenberg says, we need to talk. You've grown. And it hurt my feelings. There are certain things you can say to a, to a young person that is nice and polite, but I would never want to just go up to a friend of mine who's about my same age and say, my, look at how much you've grown. They would want to hit me, whereas a little child would stand up straight. And, um, but the reality is we, we grow and we change. Now, I'm not going to, if I were to ask you this morning, over the last two years, have you grown? I need to give you a basis on how to answer that question. Because normally, if someone says, have you grown? What's the first thing where most of our minds go to? We go to a number on a scale. We go to a size of clothing. We go to height. We go to health physically. That's not really what God's gifted me to help with. I am a pastor and my eyes go to spiritual things. So let me ask you a more penetrating question. Over the last two years, I don't care if you're 13 or 8 or 6 or 96. My question is, over the last two years of your life, have you grown spiritually? Have you changed spiritually? Now, I could ask you, have you changed over the last 20 years? And most of you would say, oh, yes. And some of your spouses looking at you and like, oh, no, they have not. (laughs) Now, let me ask you, if you took a snapshot of a four-year-old and then another snapshot of them when they're six, would it be obvious to see change? Oh, yeah. How about a six-month-old to a nine-month-old? How about 44-year-old to 46-year-old? Not quite as obvious, right? I asked you spiritually, have you grown? Have you changed over six months, over two years? How about over the last 24 hours? Not, if someone says no, maybe not, not quite as, do you see where I'm going with this? Christian growth and change is mysterious. It's mysterious. It's not meant to be, but it is kind of mysterious. But it's central to being a Christian, isn't it? If you've been a Christian for 10 years, should you expect some sort of change in your life? Do you expect to observe some type of growth spiritually? in your life? I think we're on the same page about that. The questions, though, if I kept pressing you on that, they get a little more difficult to answer. We all, have you grown over 10 years? Yes. Have you grown over two years? Yes. Six months? Yeah. A day? But if I asked you at what, what day along the 10 years did you experience growth? Did you notice that you had grown? A little murky. I grew. How, how do you know if a five-year-old is growing? How do you know? How do you know if a five-year-old is growing physically? You measure it, right? 
We have one of those, maybe you had one growing up, we have one of those, you know, growth chart thingies, like a big ruler slapped up on the wall. I will tell you, don't ever let it fall off the wall and then reattach it even an inch off. It will cause disaster with your children, right? My boys love to look at the marks on there. But we also found out they get very frustrated if you measure every day. Right? We try and wait for a while before we measure. They're going to be frustrated. Right? Oh, I, I just turned, you know, especially on their birthday. I mean, Isaiah thought that on his birthday, he would wake up and be three inches taller than he was the night before. He had unrealistic expectations. But you measure it. You step on a scale. Right? You measure it. How about intellectually? How do we measure growth? And I'm not trying to get into an intellectual, educational, philosophical argument with the really smart, educated people in the room. So just dumb it down a few levels for me. Usually it's by tests and quizzes. You know, they measure your aptitude. And I realize there's all kinds of studies out there about that. I I, I get it. I'm not smart enough to understand what they say. All I know is we send our boys to school. They send them home with homework. And then the parents have to watch YouTube videos to know how to help their kids with their homework. And then every once in a while, we get these really colorful charts which show, like, your child should be testing this number, and they got this number, and so two thumbs up. I don't even know what the charts mean, to be honest. I have to get, my wife is an educator. She teaches school. She's got a master's degree in education. She has to explain the things to me. You take tests, and they spit out numbers, and I guess if they get the right number on the test, then they're smart or they're growing intellectually, but at least it's measured that way. How do you measure if you're growing as a Christian, though? Like, how do you know? I talk to lots of Christians, and the answers vary. If I talk to you long enough, I can start to get an idea about what growth chart you measure for yourself as a Christian. Sometimes I hear it this way. Well, I haven't had a drink in two years. So I'm growing as a Christian. Or I finished the entire Bible this year, so I know I'm growing as a Christian. Or I started serving in a new ministry. Or I shared my faith with somebody this last year. Or I haven't had as many bad thoughts as I used to. Or I've been able to forgive people. I hear all kinds of different things. I don't think they're wrong. But how do you really truly know if I'm growing or if I'm changing, especially if I can't see it from yesterday? Caius, you think I'm hilarious. Wait till I tell a joke and then really let it go, right? Yeah? He's like, this is really good, Pastor. It's hilarious. Like, I'm, I'm drinking all this in. Yes. How do you know? How do you know? Since change is central to becoming a Christian, I could also say this. If you say you followed Jesus for five years, and you would also say, but I've not, I see no change in my life. I see no growth in my life. Is that a problem? What do you think? If one claims to know Jesus and there is no evidence of spiritual growth and there is no evidence of spiritual change, what does that mean? 
The best answer is I don't know exactly. I can't speak with a conclusion. But I would question whether or not you've really put your faith in Jesus and experienced salvation. Because you cannot, what the Bible teaches is, you cannot be a genuine Christian and experience no growth or change. That's what it says. Now, some of you are immediately in paranoia. I am not here this morning to personally question your salvation and say, if you don't check off these boxes, you're not a Christian, so go check off these. That's not the point. Sometimes you're growing and you don't see your growth. You don't know where to look. You're measuring it on the wrong charts and I need to help you know where to look to see growth and change happening, right? Sometimes you need to zoom out instead of just zooming in. We need to zoom out. I need to help you. And maybe in other occasions, I need to help you understand that Maybe you need to go back and revisit what actually you think happened at salvation and see that. So let me not be so abstract. Let me get into this. The help that, I, that I've gotten on this is the Bible uses imagery to help us. The Bible uses a lot of, I'll, I don't mean to sound nerdy, it uses a ton of botanical imagery. Do you know what I mean when I say botanical? Plants, trees. Flowers, crops, agriculture. Why? Because the whole world at that point understood that. They were an agricultural society. The Palestinians were, and even the Roman Empire. They all understood agriculture. So all through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the writers of the Bible, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, use illustrations and metaphors of agricultural and natural and botanical things to help us understand the kingdom of God. And the main type of metaphor the Bible uses in the New Testament to describe to you what you should expect to see about spiritual growth has to do with fruit. In fact, the central passage to explain what we Christians... should expect what should change about my life after I get saved. How do I know if I'm changing and how does it actually happen? All of that is bundled up in, inside of one metaphor that Paul uses in Galatians 5. He says it's like fruit. Christian growth parallels the way that fruit grows. This is what you should expect. So all I want to do in the few minutes I have this morning is, is maybe help you Come alongside me and have a deeper understanding of a couple things. Number one, how should I expect to grow and change as a Christian? What does spiritual growth actually look like to me? What should I see? What can I look forward to experiencing? Where do I look to to see how I am growing as a believer? What does it actually mean? So, How does it happen is the second thing I want to see. And then thirdly, if I'm not seeing the kind of growth and change in my life, what, if anything, can I do about that? So um, go much deeper into it. I guess I need to make something less abstract. I've used this term a lot this morning, spiritual growth. If I ask you all to write down a definition, we might get a bunch of different definitions. I think we should probably agree on one. 
And since I have the microphone and I'm allowed to use the platform today, I'll give you one, (laughs) right? Spiritual growth is a result. It's on the right-hand side of the equal sign of the process of discipleship. In other words, if we as a church are passionately committed, our, our mission is being and making what? Disciples of who? Of Jesus. Discipleship is a process. It's not a snap. It's not a moment. It's not a switch you flip. It is a process. Well, what if I get involved in this process, what's at the other end of it? I know many of you are in the process, and some of you have completed the process of becoming a citizen of the United States. It is a process. For some people, it's a very, 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 very long process. But what you're hoping is that that process results in citizenship, all the rights and the privileges associated with citizenship. Well, if discipleship is a process that we're all involved in, what are we hoping results from it? The answer is spiritual growth. That's what it results in. It results in growth. It results in change. That's what I mean by spiritual growth. Be more specific. Super. I'll give you the simplest definition I can give you. It's taken me eight or nine years to come up with this, but this is where I've landed on it. Spiritual growth looks like this, becoming a little bit more like Jesus every day. Can you remember that? You can't reduce it any further than that. I can't make it any simpler. Just grab that if you get nothing else from today's message. Grab that. How do I know if I'm growing growing spiritually? How do I know if I'm changing? Simple. Are you becoming a little bit more like Jesus day by day by day by day? Now, if I ask you to compare yourself to yesterday or a week ago or a month ago, that might be hard. And sometimes that's all the farther we go and we say, therefore, I'm not growing. Something must be wrong. That's not how you examine. If you looked at your garden that way, you'd give up gardening. Because I will tell you from experience as a novice gardener, I have planted a lot of seeds in the ground and gone out the next day and have yet to see a fruit tree the day after I planted the seed in the ground. I did not realize until much, much, much later that growth was happening. But then the evidence said, even when I couldn't see it, obviously growth was happening. Are you following me? Spiritual growth is the result of the discipleship process. And it looks like becoming a little bit more like Jesus every day. Well, how does it happen? It happens differently than non-spiritual growth. In fact, Christian growth happens differently than the way that unbelievers grow. Let me just tell you. Because you can grow two different kinds of ways. You can grow externally. You can grow internally. In other words, you can grow from the outside in. That's mechanical. I can go study, I can get education, I can practice, I can use discipline, I can use hard work, I can try really hard, I can get a coach, a mentor. You're looking for things externally, mechanically, outside of you, and what you're hoping is that as you're gaining things, it's now going in your ears, in your brain, into your body, and producing change. Awesome. But that's not the way Christian change works, and that's the way a lot of us are trying to change. 
I can't tell you how many times I'm in a counseling conversation, and this comes tumbling out after a while. The individual that I'm talking to, listening to, will come to a point of confession. I am just struggling with this. I'm very insecure. I'm really intimidated. I'm thinking really lowly of myself. What are you doing about it? And then they'll give their answer, but generally it comes out this way, this phrase. I'm trying really hard to change. And that's an honest confession. In and of itself, I I don't want to tear that statement apart, but by itself, that person is set up for failure. Because you know what that says? If I just grit my teeth and read enough books and do enough work, I can change myself. And it might work for a little while, but you know what? It will unravel. Mechanical change is generally not permanent change. At some point, it falls apart. And you know when it falls apart? We fall apart because we're like, I worked so hard. And it fell apart. Now how do I deal with my own failure? Look how broken I am. It's not worth... Christian change happens differently. Christian change is the result of the Holy Spirit transforming you internally. He does the work. He does the changing, and it starts inside first. What are my insides? What do you mean? What you desire how you think, how you feel, what your attitudes are, what motivates you, your will. Those things, if they change, they can't help but send new ideas and thoughts and attitudes and feelings to your body, and they make their way out of your body through your choices, through your works, through your walk. They organically follow along internal changes. This is not so hard to grab when you, you know, you, I've talked to different, lots of different people because I'm on a similar journey. I've done the yo-yo thing with my weight for 15 years. And I sought community from other people in similar places to me. And the people who really experience permanent change in their physical health, there's one common thread I can attach to every single one of them. It's not one diet. It's not one exercise. I'll tell you this. They started thinking differently about their health. Happened up here. Their desires, their cravings changed. Habits changed. It happened internally. It wasn't some external thing because those external things will produce for a while, but they won't produce permanent, lasting, dynamic change. As a Christian, I crave change in my life. I want to be different, but not just randomly different. I want to be more like Jesus today than I've ever been. I want to be, I want to understand, I want to think like him feel like he feels, relate to people like he relates. And in any given time, I can hold myself up to that measurement chart and feel really bad about myself, right? I mean, if you do that, honestly, compare yourself to wherever you are to Jesus, how do you walk away from that comparison? If you're really honest, 
But here's what I can say. Yeah. But man, two years ago, if I would be walking through the same situation that I just came through, I would have never been as patient. I would have never been as merciful. I would have been too sensitive. I would have gotten my feelings hurt. I would have lost mercy. And I at least can see that two years from now, I have been tested. And now I can see evidence of growth. Not because I read 35 books or went to 10 classes on how to be more loving. But because the work that I do is surrendering to the Holy Spirit in my life. Spiritual growth is becoming a little bit more like Jesus each day. Spiritual growth happens when I surrender to the Holy Spirit's leadership in my life. As he transforms me into the image of Jesus Christ. So if I put that all together, discipleship, it's the process by which the Holy Spirit, that's a huge part of this. Because if we just limit it to saying, discipleship's becoming a little bit more like Jesus every day. We say, all right, I'm going to go home and work on that. No, you need to go home and be worked on. Well, what's my role in the process? I'll make this very easy. I'll cut right to the chase. I got this from a video, from a, a teaching video from John Corson. I put the link in here. It just stuck with me. The first time that I heard it, it just stuck with me. It looks like saying okay to the Holy Spirit every day. Just say okay every day. And he says, daughter, can you just... Put your earbuds down for a minute and just close your eyes and enjoy me for a moment. Okay. Hey, you're obsessing over this. Can you put this on the back burner for a while and just relax for just just relax in me for a minute? Okay. That's what surrender to the Holy Spirit looks like. I can't make it any simpler than that. Pastor, this is very, very, very basic. It's supposed to be. Supposed to be. Spiritual growth is becoming a little bit more like Jesus as a result of the Holy Spirit doing work that you cooperate with. That's it. Over and over and over again for a lifetime. Well, how do I get started? Just say okay every day. You can pray and go home now, right? (laughs) Pastor, you're making this very basic. On purpose. Because we're all supposed to grab this. Now, when I say it that way, does this sound so complex and intimidating and threat? It shouldn't. It should sound basic. It should sound simple. It's not about gritting your teeth and saying, all right, I'm going to grow spiritually and it's going to be. Who wants to do that? Then Christian growth, you know what it feels like? Pressure. Weight. Walking around all the time being hyper aware of everything you fall short of and then feeling guilty for not doing it. Oh, that's fun. Let's get a whole bunch of people into that kingdom. No. Christian growth is inevitable. I'll give you the four words. Here, I mean, I'll get out of order here since I was afraid to use the podium. I'm on page four of my notes now. <laughs> let me read you the passage for today, and then let me give you the four words. Okay. They're not my four words. They are four words that were introduced to me. I'm going to give credit to the guy who gave them to me. I'll explain them and teach them in a different way than he did, but they just stuck with me, and they have, they've been a huge change instrument in my Christian growth. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, this is a very familiar passage if you've been in the Bible at all. This is the fruit 
of the Spirit passage. You know what I mean by fruit of the Spirit? Now, I'm saying that carefully. I'm giving you a hard T there. Do you know why? Paul doesn't write about the fruits of the Spirit. It's not nine different fruits. See, this is why I'd like to go back to all the people who wrote the kids' songs and Larry and Bob and everybody else. Because if you're like me and you grew up in church, and many of you didn't, but I did, I was taught like, okay, love is like an apple and joy is like a banana. And that's, Paul's not describing nine different fruits. He's describing one fruit and giving you nine characteristics of it. You get it all. Well, I grow in joy, but not in peace. You, you can't. You can't grow in one attribute of the Holy Spirit's character without all the others. And you don't. I'll give you that in a minute. Um, here's what Paul is telling the Galatians how to grow spiritually. And he's saying much more simply than I just did how it happened. So this should be review from what we just heard. So I say, let the Holy Spirit sit in the driver's seat and guide your lives. Well, why? Well, easy answer. Then, by default, you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Isn't that just brilliant simplicity? You can have one driver's seat in your life. It's going to be your, na- your sinful nature or the Holy Spirit. Can't be neither, can't be both, must be one or the other. And he says if you put the Holy Spirit in the driver's seat, you won't be sinning. And then he defends that answer. He says, number verse 17, the sinful nature wants to do evil. That is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us different desires, desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. You see, the Holy Spirit keeps you from doing the bad things your nature wants to do, and your nature keeps you from doing the good things the Holy Spirit wants you to do. That's why there's always this civil war inside of us. Not that even after you're saved, haven't you figured out that there's still a battle going on inside of you? Okay. But the Bible tells you how we win. Just say okay to the Holy Spirit every day. That's how you win. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. Phil's takeaway from this is the following. There's two ways you can stop doing bad things. There's two ways you can get after your vices. There's two ways you can try and stop doing the stuff you know you shouldn't be doing. One is you try and attack it and you try and kill it. I'm going to go in and I'm going to just stop lusting. I'm going to grit my teeth and build a monastery and go up on the hill and separate myself from the world. And then you find out, but I took my flesh with me. I'm going to just use willpower and discipline and I'm going to get 10 people to check up on me and I'm going to set an electric pulse to my wrist and every time I have this thought, it's going to, I'm going to, now I'm exaggerating. Where's Caius? I need, see, that was funny and now he left. I needed him for that one. I know so many of us that that's our, I'm trying really hard and it's been 13 days without having this bad thought and I'm on a high, but then I was driving down the road the other day and it thought came in and now all hope is lost. Haven't you ever been there? It's like this is some type of spiritual gymnasium. Like, okay, you missed the gym for a day. All progress is lost. You're on the keto diet and you had a piece of chocolate cake. You're back to square one again. It's not Christian growth. One way 
to overcome the bad is to try and attack it and kill it. The other way is what the Bible teaches. Rather than trying to hyper-focus on that, you flood your soul with the opposite virtue. You hear that? I just struggle so much with lust. Okay, invite the Holy Spirit and let him flood you with purity. Haven't you ever prayed, Lord, just take the desire to blank away from me? Now, I have heard some random stories where, in some cases, that's happened, specifically in the nature of, like, narcotics and addictions and things like that. I've heard that before, and I'm not denying that God does that. That's not typical when it comes to your sinful nature because you're asking him to take your sinful nature away, and he will when? When you get your new body. Until then, what we do is we crucify that old thing to the cross. Now, it's still alive, but you have to suffocate it. How do you suffocate it? You flood it with the opposite virtue. I want to be less angry, so I'm going to just really try and not think angry thoughts. Okay, let me know. I'll give you five months on that, and then we'll report back. Let me know how you're doing with controlling your thoughts. Or give me five days of you inviting the Holy Spirit to wash over you with his love. The Bible teaches flooding your thoughts, your emotions, your feelings with the opposite virtue of your flesh, and it tells you what it is. It's the Holy Spirit. How do I become? Live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, enjoy the Spirit. Just say okay every day. And I promise you, the lasting growth that you'll see in your life will be light years ahead of you trying to surgically cut out these parts of your flesh that no matter how hard you try, you don't defeat your flesh by cutting it out. You defeat it by crucifying it and inviting the new one to live, if that makes sense. Even if it doesn't, got to keep going. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. Verse 18. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. If I had time, I'd unpack that for you. I don't. You can check your notes. Verse 19. Here's what happens. When you follow the, when your sinful nature is in the driver's seat, here are the results. Here's the change. Here's the growth. You grow in these areas. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So that's what happens when we let those desires. And again, he's talking about your desires inside of you. He's not talking about, well, the devil made you do it. He's not talking about an external temptation. What he's saying is that inside every human heart are these things. They're in there already. <laughs> and when you let those things have free reign, they will control you. And this is the type of growth you'll see. Then he flips it around. And here's your botanical imagery. Here we go. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. I wish I could unpack that to you too. I don't think that's necessarily immediately talking about salvation. It is talking about inheriting a set of values and freedoms in your life that you can't enjoy while you're in bondage, but I'll read your notes and do some work on that later. Verse 22. This phrase is huge, but the, the who? The Holy Spirit. It's not an it. It's a he. But the Holy Spirit produces. Can you grab those five words and let them sink into your heart and let that be a relief to you? If you're going to be holy, you can't do it. Amen? Praise God. Will you take the pressure off yourself? 
In fact, you won't appreciate this until you stop trying to make yourself holy. You can't do it. If you could, we would not need Jesus. And if you really could do it successfully, you'd be so arrogant and prideful that that sin would corrupt any good. I am that good that I can make myself something without God, which is the height of offending God, which is pride and not God. Okay? The Holy Spirit produces. Oh, he does the producing. Now we get the botanical imagery. This kind of what? Fruit. Here's what Paul is saying. I'm going to contrast, you know, flesh growth, the way unbelievers grow, with the way Christians grow. Christians grow like fruit. The Holy Spirit produces fruit. And here's my question. If the fruit we produce is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it's observable, and it's growth, and it's change, what is the seed from which the fruit grows? Because fruit does not grow without a seed, right? Okay, some of you are like are into your deep conspiracy science thing. Look, the way God created things, which came first, the tree or the seed? You don't know. Awesome. Let me, let me bring you to modern day. If you want to have an apple tree in your yard, where, whether you transplant it or you make one on your own, where did it start? It began as a what? A seed. I didn't know how far back we needed to go on this one. Just want to make sure. All right. So if, listen, this is, again, this is supposed to, Pastor, this is very basic. Exactly. It's supposed to be. Being Christian isn't about going up on some hill and getting some hidden wisdom that only you have. It's about Lord just saying, here, let me reveal it to you simply so you can grab it. Right? If the Holy Spirit is going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life, what is the seed from which the Holy Spirit's fruit grows? Yes, I heard it. The Holy Spirit. In other words, there has to be a seed planted in you before you can expect a tree with fruit on it to grow out of you. Does that make sense at least? If you say, I really want a garden, I'm just going to really pray hard for a garden, and one day I want to walk outside and I just, I want to see corn and potatoes and tomatoes and zucchini and squash, I want to see it all, and I'm just really praying and believing. You can pray and pray and pray, and unless God decides to give you a miracle, should you expect to see a garden? No. Why? You planted no seeds. But I will tell you this, the way God designed things. If you plant a seed, you will have fruit. Now, some of you say, I've gardened enough to know that that doesn't always happen. But listen, the way God designed it, you don't get fruit without a seed. And if you have a seed, you will have fruit, says the Lord. That's the way that he designed things. So this presupposes something. He's going to talk about fruit. But the only way you see this kind of fruit is if there was a planting of the seed of the Holy Spirit in your heart at some point in your life. Fortunately, Paul told us a few, chapter, a few books earlier where that comes from. At what point was the seed of the Holy Spirit planted in your life? Not at birth. The moment you're saved. The moment you're saved. His spirit was fused together with your spirit, 1 Corinthians 6. The two became one. You know what that means? That means the moment you were saved, 
your true spiritual growth and change journey began. And it's been going on ever since then. But it started where? Internally, under the soil. Okay. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't worry, it's not a nine-part sermon. Okay. Some of you are like, oh man, is he going to go? I'm not. You can do that on your own time. It deserves it. There's no law against these things, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, I've taught this already, I'm sorry, have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to whose cross? His cross and crucified them there. Now, here's what I will tell you. You have no business taking down from his cross something you nailed there. Okay? Next verse. Since we are living by the Spirit... Other translations say walking by the Spirit, and others say are being led by the Spirit. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Just say okay to the Holy Spirit every day. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. I'm almost out of time, so let me just give you this. This is the sticky part. I hope you grab this. Here's what Paul's use of fruit imagery tells us. It tells Paul's use of fruit as a metaphor from Paul's use of fruit as a metaphor, we learn that Christian growth is at minimum. I got these four words from Dr. Tim Keller. Uh, there's no way to, I can't improve on them. I'm just gonna pass them on to you and I'll explain them briefly because this makes so much sense. From just this idea of, of Christian growth being like fruit, here's four things that describe the growth you, can, you should expect, these characters. At minimum, number one, Christian growth is gradual as opposed to what? instant. Now, I'll come back to that because some of you are like, well, pastor, I'm going to get there. How about I say this? The overwhelming majority of the time, it's gradual. We have a God that can do things instantly because guess what? Your garden grows at different rates and paces based on what season you're in. Not growing a whole lot of things in December, but there's growth happening in winter. That's different from the way things grow in spring. That's different from the way things that grow in summer. That's different from the way things grow in harvests. Christian growth is like the way a seed grows into a tree that produces fruit. It is gradual. Number two, I love this part. It's inevitable. If that seed is planted in your heart, you will grow. What do you mean I will grow? You will become a little bit more like Jesus every day. It's inevitable. Number three, it is internal. And number four, it's symmetrical. In other words, that's where I say, if you're going to grow, you're not going to just grow in love and not joy. You're not just going to grow in long suffering and not in gentleness. You're not just going to grow. You are going to grow in all of the characteristics and attributes of the fruit. So let me just give you a little quick definition of each of these so that you understand it. Christian growth is gradual. I'm helping you by finding where I was at here. It occurs incrementally over time. You can't really, you can't see fruit grow. Trust me, I have tried to watch tomatoes grow. It's one of those things like, you know, you can, I guess, watch paint dry. You could see that in a couple hours. Maybe, I, I have never once strained and watched grass grow. And yet in Baltimore, I can mow my grass 
and go inside. And when I come home from work the next day, I'm like, it's grown already. Now, I didn't see it grow, but it grew. In the wintertime, it doesn't grow as fast. In fact, I'd argue it doesn't grow at all, but there is growth happening. I just can't measure how it's growing because I don't see it. It's happening incrementally, happening mysteriously, happening invisibly. And you're saying, well, why is that important? Because it's important because God said, people, this is how you grow too. You grow gradually, incrementally, over time. Growth occurs in all seasons, but at different paces in different seasons. Have you ever gone through a spiritual winter and did you, or a spiritual desert? And maybe you didn't know you were in a spiritual winter and you thought you were losing it. Have you ever been through a spiritual springtime? When your senses are like, wow, everything smells fresh and new. I feel the warmth of the sun of the spirit. I, I'm tender. My heart is tender. I just feel emotionally deeply connected to Jesus. And then in the winter, you're like, I just feel like I know he's out there, but I can't feel him like I did three months ago. Something must be wrong. Or you're in a different season. But you grow in important ways during winter that you don't grow that way during spring. And if you don't grow that way during winter, you won't enjoy spring the way you do. I wish I had time to teach you on the different seasons spiritually. I don't. But we grow gradually. We grow incrementally. Well, pastor, what about instantaneous growth and change? Can God do that? Of course he can. And sometimes he does. Some of you have those stories. And sometimes those are the testimonies we want. We want to hear about an instant change. I had a condition and bam, God changed it. And those are important. And that's huge. We believe in that. We ask for that. I will also say that's not the most common, ordinary way Christians grow. And sometimes when you hear that and you say, man, I prayed and instantly it changed, you've got 50 other people in the room who say, I'm in that same place and it's not changing instantly. There must be something wrong. Most Christians, you know, you don't, you don't plant tomatoes. I figured this out in Georgia. I keep going back to tomatoes. It's the one thing I've tried to grow that actually came up out of the ground where I wanted it to. Um, I mean, I was so frustrated because I did not see any movement. I saw no growth day after day. I wanted to dig up the dirt and look in there and see if anything was going on. And then one day I came home from work. And I was like, aha, I am a gardener. I have conquered the land. I mean, I, it wasn't much. But man, when that thing starts coming up through the... You know what I concluded at that point? Man, it must have been growing for a little while and I just didn't see it. Nor was I doing any work. There was growth going on that I did not see and was convinced wasn't happening. And then when I finally saw, now I didn't see a tomato at first, mind you. I saw a little, you know, I saw some vines coming up through the ground. And if you've ever planted tomatoes, there is a point where you will go to work in the morning and come home and there will be 3,700 tomatoes where there were none that morning. And then you realize maybe I shouldn't have planted 18 tomato vines for the two of us with no children who one of us likes tomatoes. Maybe that wasn't a good idea. Do you know your Christian growth is gradual? It happens incrementally. Over time. 
That does not mean that today when you realize you're not as patient as you should be, as you can be, as Christ is, that tomorrow you will wake up and expect to be perfect in patience. You need to be patient with yourself. You need to be patient with your growth. You need to not only zoom in, and some of us are zoomer inners, and I am that person. Yesterday I realized that I'm really doing terrible in this area of my life, and I prayed about it, and I cried about it, and I confessed it to my wife and everybody else. I put ashes and sackcloth on. It was uncomfortable, so I took it off and put cotton back on. And I, you know, I read 10 verses, and I wrote it in my journal, and I ripped it out, and I, and I burned the page because I did that in youth group at one point, and I'm like now... And then the next day you get up and you're feeling good and then all of a sudden, boom, you lose your patience over something. Oh, I'm terrible. What a wretched worm I am. Let's go do all the rituals all over again. You got to be patient with yourself. The better energy to invest is to just say okay every day to the Holy Spirit. It happens gradually. And then zoom out a year later. Oh, I'm still just not where I should be. Fair. Where were you a year ago? Well, I've made some progress. Well, have you? Better answer. The Holy Spirit's been working on me, and I see the evidence, a.k.a. the fruit, of what he is producing. Paul's contrasting the fruit the Holy Spirit produces, which is internal and spiritual, versus the work that human ingenuity can produce, which is mechanical and external. And he's saying this is how the Holy Spirit works. I can go a lot more on that. Don't have time. It's inevitable. A seed will always grow. And here's what I learned. Even if it's squashed by a driveway. A few years ago, uh, after the tree hit our house, we're like, listen, while we're in restore things mode, mode, Whoever owned the house before me did not finish the driveway, and it drives me nuts. They had half of a circle. They had a semicircle. I could not understand that. Like, it literally served no purpose. And so I was like, you know what? Let's finish the semicircle. And so we had a company come in, and they redid the driveway, and they put asphalt on top of all the grass. I mean, and they rolled down hard with, like, one of those rollers of steam. What do they call them? Steam roll, thank you. Yeah, that was brilliant. Steam rollers, yeah. And like pressing down on that grass seed, thousands of pounds of pressure on little tiny grass seeds. And you're thinking, in this battle, tiny grass seed versus gigantic steamroller and asphalt, I have to say that carefully or I'm going to embarrass myself, it pushes down really, really, really hard. Who's going to win? I think the steamroller. I think the driveway. <sighs> Don't you know it? The grass. Now, not all over the driveway, but in this one part, that little tiny grass seed. Ah, it just found its way up through there, punched aside the driveway. It's like, <laughs> like, just mocks me every week. I have sprayed it. I have pulled it. I have weed whacked it. I have patched it. And it goes right through the patch. We are the grass seed. The Holy Spirit is the grass seed. (laughs) And you're like, Pastor, I've been following Jesus 10 years. And I'm still just not seeing growth. 
like I want to see it in my life. Friends, sometimes you're under that driveway a long time, but I promise you, if the Holy Spirit is in you and you'll just say, oh, every, every day, it is inevitable. You will grow. You will change. Amen? It's internal. And I think I've accidentally preached this whole point already. Let me just read my highlights. Christian growth relates to what is inward. When you hear the Bible talk about your walk, that's outward. One way that we try and change ourselves is we start with our walk. If I change my actions, my behaviors, and my habits, if I just change those things, automatically I'll be different on the inside. That's mechanical, external change. Christian growth does involve your walk, but your walk is the result of something that happened inside, in your desires, in your motives, in your thoughts, in your ideas, in your emotions, in your feelings. Jesus told a story about how this happens. I love this. You don't have to turn there. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. Listen to this story. Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer. Go figure. Jesus is going to use botanical imagery. Now, now, with everything we've talked about, listen to the story with your new ears. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. I underline this part. This verse has changed my life. Night and day, while the farmer is asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and it grows, but he doesn't understand how it happens. Here's what the farmer is saying. I scattered seed on the ground. The seed went into the ground, and at that point, I didn't do another thing. Some days I was up and I was at work and while I was sleeping, whether I was at work or asleep, I'm watching, that seed is sprouting. The leaves are pushing up through the ground. Awesome, I'm seeing growth. I couldn't tell you how it's happening. I just know that it's happening. It's happening internally. The earth produces crops on its own. First, doesn't this describe your own Christian growth? First, a leaf blade pushes through. Then, eventually, the heads of wheat are formed and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it, for harvest time has come. Friend, that's how you should expect to grow and change. Starts as a seed of the Holy Spirit in your heart, and that whole journey began at salvation. You didn't receive part of the Holy Spirit, you received all of him. And the rest of your life is the process of that seed in the soil of your heart, whether you're awake, whether you're asleep whether you're aware of it or totally unaware of it. It's the Holy Spirit causing that seed in the soil of your heart to go, and at times you'll see a little leaf blade push out. Some patience, some love, some mercy, some confidence, some courage, some boldness that you didn't produce, that you didn't you know, work up or work out. It just organically came up through by the Holy Spirit. And you would sit back and say, yes, over 10 years I've grown. How? Not sure. Correct answer. Well, what do you know? All I know is that the Holy Spirit is in me, and I say okay every day to the Holy Spirit when I hear him nudging on my heart. And 10 years later, you see all these things in my life. What do I mean all these things? Christian growth is symmetrical. What do you mean by that? The Holy Spirit produces in us all the characteristics of his fruit, not just some. He won't grow us in love without also growing us in peace. He won't grow us in patience without also growing us in mercy. All of the Spirit is one. All of the nine Christian graces go together and grow together. We cannot separate them. I'll read you a quote uh, from, uh, from Dr. Boyce. 
the singular form of the word fruit stresses that these nine qualities are a unity, like a bunch of grapes instead of separate pieces of fruit. It also stresses that they're to be found in all Christians. In this, they differ from the gifts of the Spirit, which are given one by one to different people as a church has need. He also says this, joy is the byproduct of love. I love this phrase. Peace is the holy calm breathed into the soul by a pardoning God. So let me conclude since we're out of time. So what kinds of growth and change should you expect? Should you experience? And dare I say, what types of growth and change are you experiencing? Deep, permanent, lasting change to our innermost desires, our innermost thoughts, our feelings, and our will that will result in a life that looks a little bit more like Jesus every day. That's Christian growth. Your innermost desires, your thoughts, your feelings, your attitudes that your flesh has are being overwhelmed by the opposite virtues of the Spirit and you're putting the spirit in charge. You're being led and guided by the spirit. How do I do that? You simply say, okay. He says, uh, driver's seat, please. Okay. Just say, okay. Every day, that's how you grow. What was, oh, no. now a song is coming back. In, uh, read your Bible and pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Was a, one of you had that in children's church. And I'm like, you know, it is possible to read your Bible and to say prayers and not grow. <laughs> right? Um, That's a different message for a different day. Um, How does this type of growth and change happen? Well, there's your four words. How am I growing as a Christian? Can you? I'm growing gradually. I'm growing inevitably. I'm growing internally, and I'm growing symmetrically. That's how it happens. When did it start? The moment you received the Holy Spirit inside of you when you got saved, when he was planted like a seed in your innermost being, Most simply, we grow and change by walking with the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the the big question. If you're not, if I'm not seeing this growth and change in my life that you're describing, I'm not seeing evidence of that kind of change that you described. Here's a couple ways you can assess yourself and do something about that because I don't want to leave you hanging there. My first question is this. Have you truly experienced salvation from Jesus by confessing your belief in him and through the repentance from sin? If you've not experienced salvation, the best you've got is your own effort, and that isn't enough. You can't make yourself into this person. You can only be made into that person. And without the seed in you, you won't produce that fruit. But now, if you know you've been saved by God's grace through your faith, then here's a couple questions I would ask. Where does this show up? It shows up in the way you study the Bible, the way you pray, it shows up in the relationships you have with spiritual mentors and spiritual friends. It shows up in experiences that you have, like God moments and gospel moments. It shows up in the way that you serve other people with your gifts to benefit them. So if you're not experiencing growth, it might show up in one of these questions. Do you enjoy studying the Bible daily and spending time with Jesus in prayer, or do you find these exercises to be dull, boring, dry, inconsistent, infrequent, or mechanical? Pastor, I read my Bible every day. Well, do you enjoy it? Not really. Then why are you settling for that? Well, I just, I've been in Leviticus for two years. Find a different book. I don't understand it. Pick a book you understand. 
Well, I can't read a chapter a day. So don't. Read a verse. Read a little bit every day. There's something you're curious to know about God. Start there. Why? God doesn't want you to do something every day that's dull, mechanical, and boring. He wants you to enjoy it. So switch it up so you can. That's all. Well, I don't like to read. I'd rather listen to it. So listen to it. Well, my plan is really drained. Find a different plan or don't have one. It's just... Can you relax in that? I pray every day and it's boring and dull and empty. Change it up. Enjoy it. Well, I know I should be. Oh, I know. Do you, I'm glad you know him. Do you like him? Do you enjoy him? Well, Pastor, what do you want for your congregation? I'll give it to you. I want my congregation to enjoy Jesus. End of story. Period. Full stop. If I can do that after 40, 50 years of ministry, I feel like God can say, well done. If I can inspire you to know Jesus in a way that you enjoy him, everything else hangs on that. I just want you to enjoy him. I enjoy Jesus. I just, and, I, and you know what? I enjoy him more and more all the time. But maybe if you're stuck spiritually, maybe one of these things is true of you. Are you connected to a spiritual mentor? Do you have anybody in your life that you can talk to about spiritual things that you respect them enough to speak into your life and you'll listen to them? They can tell you yes. They can tell you no. They can give you insight. Do you have somebody like that? And my question is, have you talked to her or him about this spot you're in spiritually? They're in your life for a reason. And guess what? If they're really that type of a person, they will enjoy having that conversation with you. They'll feel useful. Okay, so pastor, you're going to get 37 emails. I'm not this person to everybody. I can't be. Now I am to a few of you, and I'm happy to do that, right? But, you know, if I can handle 10, 12, 15 people on that level, maybe you can be that to one or two people, or maybe you have one person. My question is, if you recognize you're not growing spiritually, have you had a conversation with anybody else who knows you personally about it? Pastor, that's awkward. If you have a problem with your driveway, you'll talk to somebody. If you have a problem with your, with your back hurting, you'll talk to somebody. If you don't know which comforter to buy for your bed, you'll talk to somebody. You'll read the reviews. Why is that off limits spiritually? God put you in relationship in a body with people who love you and care about you. And sometimes you just need a conversation with somebody else to give you a perspective who knows you. Right? Do you have a spiritual friend in whom you have confided about your observation, that might be your to-do step this week. You've got somebody in your life that's like a Barnabas to you. You might, they might not be a teacher, mentor, but they know you. They trust you. You trust them. Might be a spouse, might be a family member, might just be a good friend. Listen, I'll tell you one of the most beneficial things you might be able to do, just have a conversation with them. Just bring it up like, look, I just feel like I'm stuck spiritually. What do you do when you feel stuck? You know me well enough. Do you, well, what could you say to encourage me? What could you say to guide me, support me? Maybe I just need to talk this out and have someone give me a perspective. And they say, man, you think you're stuck? I think of where you were a year ago. And I, sometimes we look in the mirror and we see something totally different than everybody else sees because our eyes are broken. Sometimes you just need someone else to see you through the lens of Jesus. You see yourself through your own lens. You need someone else to say that to you. Those are ways that help us grow. When's the last time you experienced God's presence personally for you? If you can't remember, start there. How do I experience God's presence? I can't tell you how to do that. But I will say, if you start by saying okay to the Holy Spirit, you know what that means? You sense enough of his presence whispering to you. That's his presence. How about, when, what was that like? 
How did that impact you? Oh, I get so frustrated. I just want to go back to the way things used to be with Jesus 35 years ago. Why do we always talk about the best days spiritually being behind us? Don't settle for that. When was the last time you were aware of an opportunity to share your story or Jesus' story with an unbeliever? Where did that occur? What happened? What did you learn? Well, Pastor, it's been a while. Okay, well, why don't we go there? Because I'll tell you, those moments will grow you spiritually. You'll see where you're strong and where you're weak. You'll feel useful. You'll walk away from that conversation and think, wow, Lord, the wonder. I wasn't even aware. And in that moment, you opened up an opportunity for me to talk about my story and knowing you were about Jesus. I mean, goodness, we were having s'mores out here on Wednesday night. And I came out after we were packing presents in here. And one of our Royal Rangers, Royal Ranger leaders was so excited. He said, i got to tell you about something that just happened. And I'm thinking, okay, there's a campfire here. What's the best that this story could end in? You know, there's fire. Eight of the kids were playing hockey, and none of them got burned. And I don't know what they were going to say. He said, somebody from the uh, uh, modern uh, remodeling group had gotten off at work and walked over and just came up to us and started up a conversation and asked us about our church. He's like, and I was just so thankful. I remembered to tell him to come visit this Sunday at 9 and not at 11 because... <laughs> business meeting. <laughs> but I thought, you know, we've been here. One of the things our team has prayed is, Lord, help us reach our neighbors. And all of our neighbors on this side have moved out. So I don't know what that says. <laughs> and we have good relationship with uh, the modern plumbing team, and we have good relationship with people. But it's not really... There was a seed planted. This is why, you know, I get questions. Well, Pastor, why do we do an outreach like movies in the park on Saturday night? And then how many guests did we have Sunday? I'm like, that's not how seeds grow usually. But we get frustrated. I grew up in ministry where it was like you did an outreach during the week and you wanted to count the results and the offering and in numbers on Sunday morning. That's just not how things usually grow. Sometimes they do. We've been planting and planting and planting and planting and planting. I'm just thankful one little leaf blade came up through the ground and you're like, you know what? If there's that growth there, think of all those other seeds we planted. And here's... Here's where God's taking me. I used to, you know, my first lesson, the 101 in this, I guess, for me was I'm going to learn to plant and plant and plant. Even if I don't see the increase right away, I know by faith that if I plant, there will be increase. And so I was motivated to plant by knowing there will be increase. Now God's like, okay, son, will you still plant even if I never let you see any increase? Will you plant just because you love me? Ugh. Most of us are willing to plant so long as there's hope of a payoff. But not everything that you plant, you see grow in your lifetime where you look. But what if he just says, well, you just give seed and plant seed and plant and plant and water and weed out of love for me and my kingdom? Because, see, then it's not results-driven, it's relationship-driven. I'll leave that alone. I shouldn't have said that. It wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Last one I have here. Are you using, if you're stuck spiritually, are you using the gifts God's given you to benefit others? Have you taken the time to recognize the Holy Spirit's given me a gift or more than one gift like he talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14? Are you actively using that gift to benefit somebody else? That's why he gave it to you to benefit somebody else spiritually. Are you using it for that? And if you are, do you find that fulfilling or is it draining to you? Is it satisfying to you or is it frustrating to you? Maybe go there.
If you're able to zoom out, if you're able to zoom out and see how the Holy Spirit's producing the fruit of Christ's character in your life, you might say, well, Pastor, I'm thriving right now. So here's my question. What encouragement can you offer to someone who'd like to see themselves in the same kind of growth season that you're in today? Be ready with that. We grow differently in different seasons. There's times spiritually where I feel like, man, I'm just leaps and bounds every day, every moment, getting so much revelation. And then maybe three or four months later, I feel like, man, I'm just not hearing or receiving. I haven't changed the formula at all. It's just not, I've just been through enough seasons to not panic. I'm like, okay, this might be more of a winter season. And I need to adjust my expectations for the kind of growth God wants to do in me now. He's pushing things deeper so that they can grow higher when it's time for them to grow. I just want you to enjoy Jesus. I want you to know what to look for in growth and change. I want you to be patient with the way that God grows you. And I want you to be able to learn to see him growing you gradually, internally, symmetrically, but ultimately, inevitably in Christ. I hope this helps. Does this help? Can you grab onto some of that and just say, hey, it's not me going home and trying harder. It's me saying okay to the Holy Spirit. If you just say okay, he'll give you all the cues. He knows what you, your growth plan's unique to you. He's your own nutritionist. He knows where you are. And he'll make sure that he guides you and leads you. And the way you know he is leading you is you're saying okay, not no way. Is that simple? Can you grab that? Now, let me ask you again. Over the last, since you've become a Christian, have you grown? Have you changed? Glory be to God. Worship team, why don't you come on back? Let's pray. If that seed hasn't been planted in you yet, I want to give you an opportunity to receive the Holy Spirit, receive salvation this morning, experience that gift from Jesus. Again, I've looked all over the room and I... I don't want to assume I know everybody's condition. Most of you look familiar to me, but I, I never want to assume and somebody might be watching today that needs to hear this. This whole growth process begins. There can be no progress. There can be no change that lasts, that's deep, that's permanent in becoming a little bit more like Jesus every day without his spirit alive inside of us. And so... That begins at salvation and all that we have to bring to Jesus to be saved is our belief and our willingness to repent. That's it. That's all. He's done all the work. We're saved by grace through faith. And so this morning, if you want to be saved, I would just simply ask you, do you know you need to be saved? Do you believe Jesus can save you? And do you believe he will save you If you ask him and if you say yes to those things, your heart's ready. If you can also say, and I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to to stop letting my own nature sit in the driver's seat of my life. I'm ready to tell that sinful nature, you need to be nailed to the cross. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to sit on that seat. And I'm ready of a life that says, I'm going to say okay to him every way, each day. If you're ready for that, then just tell Jesus that. The Bible just says, confess that with your mouth. To the Lord. You can whisper that to him right now. Your own simple prayer and your own simple words. If you need some guidance, here's a reference prayer. You could pray something like this. Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I admit I've been living life my way. I've broken your laws. I've disobeyed you. I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. 
Jesus, I put my faith and my trust in you. You're sinless. You died on the cross in my place. I believe you rose from the dead. You're alive today. You defeated sin. You defeated death. I put my hope and my trust in you. I'm ready to be a new man. I'm ready to be a new woman. I'm ready to be a new boy or a new girl. I'm ready for that. So I invite you to come live in me. Holy Spirit, I receive all of you today. Come live inside of me. Change me moment by moment, day by day, gradually into the image of Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. You don't have to do another thing if you prayed that prayer this morning. All I'm going to ask is if you prayed that prayer with me, here's a favor. You don't have to do this. I'd love it if you take me up on it. If you prayed that prayer with me, I'm going to count to three. I just want you to slip up a hand, make eye contact with me. You can put your hand right back down. I just want to celebrate with you. One, two, three. Anybody pray that prayer with me at all this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Okay, every head up, every eye open. If you're willing and able, why don't you stand with me today? I hope this was encouraging to you. I hope this did not feel, if it came across to you like I was trying to to push you down, then please spit that out. That was not the intention. I wanted to encourage you. I wanted to help you be able to see accurately your own growth, your own progress. I don't know about you, but my life is the one where, like, I am the little grass that's under a whole lot of driveway. (laughs) But man, over time, I can step back and see, look what the Lord has done in me. I look at things that I'm enduring today with grace, or at least more grace, more mercy, more patience. I do see a release of more love and joy in my life. I'm a very melancholy melancholy person in my flesh. And I see joy coming out of my life. And it has nothing to do with any book that I read, medicine that I took, stretches that I do in the morning, none of that. I can only conclude that there's something growing out of me that is not Phil, but it's the fruit of someone else. And it's naturally coming out in the way that I live. And it makes me excited about the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years, if the Lord wills of my life, because I believe that that growth is inevitable. But I know that the way that I get there, okay, Holy Spirit, okay, yes, Holy Spirit, yes, I will. Just say okay every day. Here's our working. We hope you enjoyed the Echo Community Church podcast. If you prayed that prayer at the end of the message and began following Jesus Christ today, we'd love to celebrate with you and give you some simple next steps to take as you begin your new life with him. Just email us at info at echochurchmd.com to let us know. If you'd like more information about Echo Community Church, you can check out our Facebook page or our website, echochurchonline.com. Thanks so much for listening.